Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 188 for Monday, April 11th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and if you're interested in staying healthy in these times, then uh, maybe you want to listen to The Render Distance because we have a healthy discussion about how we've been staying healthy and getting some exercise, gym routines, going out for cardio, all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different from the usual sit down in the chair and play some Minecraft, but that's the idea. If you want to hear more from us about what we do when we're not sitting at computers, you can get the extended conversation by listening in at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. You'll get an RSS link when you sign up and that will link you to The Render Distance, which you can get in your standard podcatcher and uh, also allows us to have some uh, some upcoming patron events that we've got going on. We have the Chunk Mail Dispenser coming up next week on the podcast where we take more of a community focus and answer a bunch more email from folks who've emailed into the show. We also try and take a focus on patron emails if we get one. So, of course, if you're interested and you have an email from our patron base, please feel free to send it in. Um, our quarterly hangout is coming up where we talk about the facts and figures behind the podcast and, you know, how growth and the show is doing and how, like, you know, the YouTube channel is going and that kind of stuff if that kind of thing interests you that's coming up on saturday april 16th time still to be determined uh, and we're also having our monthly minecraft hangout for april on saturday april 23rd so stay tuned once again in the discord for announcements about the times for both of those but we're uh, very much looking forward to it so what have you been up to in minecraft this week my friend oh my goodness uh <laughs> this is going to be a long one i think because i have a lot to say about the one block at a time snapshot. I continued the April Fool's joke for... I, I, I pretty much beat the joke into the ground at this point, but in a very good way. Um, so the physics of the snapshot, having removed all item entities, basically like any time you drop an item, you're dropping it on the ground as a full block, basically, allows you to do some very wacky stuff, which is still incredibly technical like once you get down to it once you start to problem solve around the restrictions that this snapshot puts on you it turned out to be a really interesting exploration of technical minecraft and so throughout the week uh because i, I did basically like a five episode mini series i was playing the snapshot every day i first of all i set up a trading hall where i discovered that all of the villagers trade you blocks or mobs for emerald ore but they don't trade you items so if you're if you're trading emerald ore to a cleric instead of giving you a piece of redstone dust he gives you a full block of redstone um and then the leather worker started trading me cats and then the um cartographer started trading me parrots and the, and the cleric also had snow golems and silverfish and stuff like that and and so that was that was kind of wacky but ultimately i ended up starting to get iron and gold and diamonds from toolsmiths weaponsmiths those kind of professions. And as soon as I had a pumpkin farm set up, I could just trade pumpkins to farmers and get a virtually limitless supply of emerald ore. So villager trading was really the key to expanding stuff once I had crafting and stuff on the go. But then the way the block physics work is basically every block is like sand or gravel once you throw it, right? Once it becomes like a, a falling block, it has the same kind of physics as if you're uh, firing sand blocks around using slime block contraptions, for example, right? But then 
if you drop them on a torch, they don't turn into items the way sand and gravel normally would if you dropped like a bunch of sand on a torch, say you're clearing out an ocean monument perimeter or something like that. You're draining all of that using sand, and you get rid of the sand by dropping it all on a torch. Well, what happens if you do that in that snapshot, because there are no item entities, is the blocks all just fall onto the torch, and they're still occupying the same space because they're still like a falling block entity, but they stay there. And so I discovered what you could do with this is basically it allows you to mine any block without having to punch it until it breaks. Because if you drop it on a torch to begin with, or if you allow it to stay in that state as a falling block, you can just left click on it to pick it up. You effectively catch it as though you're catching it out of the air. And so I started to develop a storage system around that, which allowed you to store and retrieve blocks without mining them. And that really became the most exciting part about this whole series for me because then I discovered that dispensers we already knew kind of flung items away from them but what that means is it's turning the block into a falling block but with momentum it's effectively throwing the block the same way that the player did in that snapshot which meant that if you placed a block against a dispenser with a redstone torch underneath it it would just fling the block onto a torch you know, on the other side of your storage system. And that way you could store a bunch of blocks side by side in perfect alignment with the grid. So it wasn't super messy, like it was actually really clean. And you ended up with something akin to a storage system from, you know, a standard Minecraft world, with the exception that all of the blocks were out in the open instead of in chests. And and so it kind of snowballed from there at that point. Um, by the end of it, I had used a dropper and a redstone torch to instamine ancient debris. Um, I'd set up automatic crafting systems, I'd set up a cobblestone generator that automatically stored all the cobblestone on a torch, and then I realized that you could store them on weighted pressure plates as well, so that way you could measure the redstone output signal and take a look instantly at how many blocks you had stored on top of that space. Um, there were water flushing mechanisms and kill mechanisms for hypothetical mob farms that we came up with throughout the week. And eventually I built my own end portal, I defeated the dragon, I obtained bedrock from the dragon's return portal, uh, I used that to one-shot the wither, uh, which I had to cheat in wither skulls for because wither skulls were really hard to farm. <laughs> but the whole experience was like playing Skyblock, and it became incredibly rewarding if you went the technical route, but it was absolutely awful for building. <laughs> the, the whole time I built like the front half of a house, and that was it, because you could carry two blocks at a time, and it really wasn't worth building anything. But overall, I had a fantastic time with the snapshot, and I think for folks who had dismissed this as, oh, this is just an April Fool's joke, yeah, on the surface, it absolutely is, and it's, you know, the kind of thing that people would roll their eyes out and then go back to playing standard Minecraft. I found this an incredibly interesting technical exercise, and for people who are into that side of the game, I honestly recommend giving it a try. Like, once you can get crafting on the go, once you can get a couple of redstone things on the go, you're off to the races, and it's very, very fun. So just so I understand this, it's similar to when you have minecarts all on the same minecart rail, like when you're trying yes. to do entity cramming. Precisely and so that. 
so all of the stone or wood or whatever those blocks are, are just acting like multiple sand or gravel blocks that are all kind of occupying the same space. And then you just yeah. walk up to it and you right click and you get one block, like you yeah. get one block of whatever. And then, you, and okay. then you swap that into your offhand so you can pick up a second one <laughs> is how oh, I was doing right. it. So, so like you, you still have <laughs> the offhand to play around with. And yeah, the, there was some aspects of the snapshot that really weren't all that friendly because if I wanted to test anything in creative mode, creative mode kind of followed the same rules. They had no GUI, they had no creative inventory. I think a couple of folks even found ways of like effectively modding the creative inventory back in so you could test stuff and use it a little bit better. But the creative mode flat world that I set up just became me giving myself stuff with the slash give command over and over again because there's no way of accessing it otherwise and so yeah I, I tried out a couple of things in there but honestly I didn't use the creative mode world all that much the survival world really became a sandbox environment in a in a broader way than I've typically played Minecraft because in Minecraft, I set myself objectives. I think, okay, I'm going to build a house, and then I start to build what feels more like an immersive world around me. Whereas this was just like pure science of like, can I do this? Is it possible to do this? And most of the time, it was. It was bizarre, but it, it was it was very very fun. So no attempt to really build anything. I mean, like I, significant. I, I built the front half of a house, and that was it. Like I, right. I just I just couldn't deal with the fact that when you're oh, like yeah. say you're you're pillaring up you've only got two blocks to do that you can't carry more than one block that you're really building with if you've got to be able to move other blocks around and all of the tools broke in one hit so <laughs> the the problem with that being you know anything you build with has to be something that you're happy with punching and and replacing if you've put it in the wrong place once and you know it, it's like when you you know how you place a block of obsidian wrong in a nether portal in normal minecraft oh, yeah. and you're like oh okay i have to mine this again with a pickaxe basically everything took about that long to break <laughs> with hands um and so yeah like a, a lot of it was relying more on the technical side of things where like i'm getting around not having to break these things by just storing them all in one place and at that point, I was sleeping every night, you know, to make sure that my villagers weren't going to get attacked by zombies because goodness knows how I was going to cure them without potion brewing in the game. Um, so, yeah, I, I just didn't want to mess with that stuff. So most of the time, I didn't need a house for shelter or anything like that. It just became a, a complete, you know, it, it was it was not necessary at all. Yeah, it sounds like building in that snapshot would be like breathing through a straw, mm. you know, like just... Absolutely, you'd hate it. Really, like <laughs> yeah. But but if you if you want to go the more technical route with it, it's 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 a bit of fun. And I I've seen a few people speed run it. I've seen a few people just kind of play around with it and discover some cool stuff. Um, Bruno Danoy made a fantastic sheep farm because there's a mechanic where if you throw a sheep or if a sheep gets hit by something the wool kind of flies off as though you've sheared it but with basically any item then you can take a block of wool and throw it back onto the sheep and the sheep gets its wool back but that doesn't do any damage to it it's kind of like throwing a snowball at a mob it doesn't actually deal any damage and so you could set it up so a block of wool fell on the sheep the sheep kind of discarded all of its wool if at least one of those wool blocks fell back onto the sheep the whole process could happen again and so you ended up with a sheep farm that was just like yo-yoing wool on top of the sheep and then wool just flying around like flying out of it at all angles and 
that, that was the kind of thing where if you wanted to set it up in a more permanent world, all you have to do is carpet that whole area around it so that none of the wool actually places on the block grid. Then you can pick it up, or you can pick up all of the wool without having to mine it, and then you just go and store it somewhere. Um, the only thing that stopped me doing anything more expansive was the knowledge that if I filled up my world with that many item entities, it was probably just going to crash, or like I was going to get like three frames per second, you know. But I, I did a pretty surprising amount of that, and it it held up like i was storing probably a couple of hundred blocks of netherrack at one point because i was digging a tunnel through the nether two blocks at a time <laughs> but then i was oh, storing geez. it all in one place using a dropper and a redstone torch and like it all just stuck there and and you know didn't see that many frame drops because all i was doing was tunneling through the nether so it didn't have to render a bunch of stuff around me but yeah right. it was it was fun it was a fun week and i'm also very glad it's over because having an inventory again is something of a relief going back into the survival guide world. right now now the tiny inventory in minecraft feels humongous i would imagine. oh yes yeah no, no it's it's a great way of refreshing your perspective on i think the inventory <laughs> in minecraft needs expanding you're like no you, you don't know how bad we've we, we could have had it you know I, i've sort yeah. of thought of this this whole week as like playing minecraft in an alternate universe like this is entirely a development track that the game could have gone down if if people hadn't had the ideas that they had at the beginning of this whole thing when Minecraft was still becoming a, the game that it is today. And and it's it's a really interesting walk down, like, you know, the other leg of the trousers of time. Like, this is the route it could have gone. So, yeah, very, very excited to have spent a week doing that and uh, happy to be back to reality. They should have edited the helmet in Minecraft to give you a goatee as a player for the alternate <laughs> universe. I think that yeah, would have been mm -hmm. that would have been spot on, right? That would have been, yeah, the, the the Dark World version, yeah, definitely. Um, the amount of stuff you could put on your head was very fun as well. Um, there was a mechanic where if you threw a barrel up into the air and it landed on your head, you were basically inside the barrel with like an eye slit, so you could see out of it. And the entire GUI, it was like wearing a pumpkin. You know, most of the GUI mm -hmm. was just not there but then if you held shift you actually aligned yourself to the grid as a barrel and like your legs would shrink down from underneath it and you would hide <laughs> you could hide from mobs that way and it became a stealth mechanic and yeah. you could see people using that stuff for for maps and everything right like it, having a stealth segment in in a game like this and then if it, if one of the mobs hits you then the barrel flies off your head and you've got to run like it make it makes perfect sense but it's the kind of thing that is is just relegated to just a silly idea that they had for the April Fool snapshot, right? Oh man! Imagine you messing with players on a multiplayer server. You're oh, a yeah. barrel, and, you, and you've got the proximity chat on, or some other mod that allows you to like just voice chat with up folks. on them. Yeah, in this in their storage room that's ultimately kind of redundant because they don't have a storage room. But if anybody yeah. builds with barrels, oh boy, you could have some fun with them. Oh man, like it, like it reminds me of um, Warner Brothers cartoons, you know? Yeah, it's it's got some like some kinetic Looney Tunes kind of action to it for sure. So for me this week, I have finished Lowtown. Yay. Nice. Uh, really happy to have this sorted out. I, uh, it's, it's been 20 streams, I think, in total. Because I didn't quite finish the road. And the, like I had to, the road had to bleed over into one other stream. But um, I, it was a nice diversion from all the gray that was happening in West Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a fair amount of stone happening in in Lowtown, don't get me wrong, but most of it was focused on wood, wood roofs, fishing shacks, like uh, lower kind of like fishermen and, and little farmsteads and stuff like that. And uh, people that are living under the gardens, that kind of thing. And uh, man, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about texturing near rivers and doing riverbanks. Uh, really enjoy small drip leaf for decoration. 
Um, I'm going to have to find a way to get more of that uh, in the future because I, I think I only had three or four, but really, really cool. Uh, nice to finally have the south gate of West Hill decorated and have like greenery growing up around it so it doesn't look like it has just a flat, like it looks like a Minecraft flat world right up to the gate before now. And so having that uh, switched up has been nice. And I did a lot of like, I don't say micro building, but I did a lot of like sub block stuff where you're trying to make a market street market with like market stalls, uh, trying to do interiors with like candles. And I do have the advantage of using things like the statue data pack that allows you to pose armor stands and put items in certain positions. Mm -hmm. We have the tables and chairs data pack from Chuck Chuck, which helps with interiors and not having to use stair blocks and imagine that they're chairs, things like that. Um, but I went minimal with a lot of the interiors because one, I don't want to lag the place out, you know, and also I wanted to try and keep things simple because like, they're not, you know, poor people in this particular Minecraft village don't have a lot of stuff. Why would they, uh, you know, most of their time is spent, you know, working, um, mm -hmm. really came up with some fun ideas to, to use fish, to use, um, copper ore blocks as like barrels of salmon, you yeah. know, or, yeah, yeah. or fish guts on the floor using prismarine to look like a barrel of fish um, by putting trapdoors around it, that kind of thing. Uh, had a lot of fun with the market stalls and had a good time using hanging roots and crimson roots as like, we were going to do like a vegetable stand, but instead we went with like a, almost like an apothecary, like they're selling uh, herbs and roots and yeah and sure sure thi like things like you could brew or use for medicines and things like that so i was putting mushrooms and different nor uh, nether fungi in flower pots uh and uh wishing that some of the nether fungi had like 3d models i need to go download a data pack for that because the vanilla mm -hmm. minecraft like pixel x thing really <laughs> it looks okay on the crimson one but the warp <laughs> the warp mushroom doesn't really sell it for me yeah um but I had a lot of fun uh, and it was nice to check off the box and say, wow, like this area of the town is now also done. And so I'm really only left with the west side, which is going to be the fancier houses. There's going to be some other functional builds like there's a dock and there's um, a, a, a stable that I have to make on that side. But uh, really happy with it. The The one thing I didn't get a screenshot of is the troublesome town square, which uh, at the time when I was dealing with it had like smooth stone outlining it i ended up putting in polished basalt and furnaces to have it still have a border but have it look a lot more worn down over time yeah. mm -hmm. and uh was really the only thing i think might have added a little bit more to it would have been maybe adding in some moss here and there like not moss but like mo mossy bricks or mossy cobble but cobble just stood out too much it was too bright so uh, but i'm pretty happy with it it all looks like it was intended to be something you know official but like it's just not been kept up over time and as the money and people have all moved into west hill low town has been sort of like left to its own devices mm -hmm. yeah have you got anything in mind for what you're going to do after this now that the the end is in sight and you've only got one more area to build or is that area big enough that you're not like thinking too far ahead yet i'm not thinking too far beyond west hill um i know i'm going to do something with like a completely different thing. Like I, 
I have an idea for an elven castle city, but I think like, do I really want to jump into a project that's probably going to take me another couple of years? You know, like, yeah. is that something I really want to do? Well, I mean, it's fine. I mean, like I enjoy, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Minecraft. I like big projects and I've learned a lot from the fact that this is a very large project built up of a lot of smaller ones. Mm-hmm. You know, Lowtown was really fun because I could, I could build two, even three houses in a stream you know, and then like the paths and the interiors would be the next stream, right? So it really didn't take that long to have it look complete in, in certain ways, where some of the larger builds in inside West Hill, like bridges or gates, they took like three and four streams just to build that one thing. Um, and so there's a, there's a few things I think on the West side that will probably come in faster because of the experience that I've gained over the last year and a half working on this. But as far as, you know, doing something else we have other things on the server like there's the um the modern city which would be a great diversion from doing medieval stuff yeah um, for sure that's also challenging because minecraft doesn't always give you the the tools for modern lines that you want to use um i i like the idea of doing something a little bit more technical you know like i like taking breaks and doing some technical stuff um which actually i'll get into in just a second but I, as far as a big project like i one thing that has kind of popped into my mind is fighting the dragon to the point, either on my own or with other members of the server, uh, to finish the 20 gateways around the mm-hmm. end island. Yeah. And then say, okay, we're done fighting the dragon. We will reset the end islands whenever we want, but we're, we're done and we're going to do something permanent in the end. There's currently something there decorated now. There's an Enderman farm and Ender's Pearl storage, but... Uh, I think it would be a good spot to put like, you know, a wither squisher, you know, for, yeah. for fighting the wither and stuff like that. I think that it would be nice to then, you know, create something in that center and island because like you've got no limits virtually. You know, you can do whatever you want. Once you stop fighting the dragon and blocks are being destroyed all the time, it takes a long time to destroy those obsidian pillars, but it's possible. Um, so that I think could be, could be really interesting because I'd like to do something cool there. And if, you know, any of the server members want to do any kind of like spaceship builds or anything like that, I feel like the end is an excellent opportunity to do it. So we, we might branch out there. Um, the other thing that's never seen a lick of customization, speaking of the end is the, the, the end gateway on, um, the portal to the end on the overworld side. It's still just a standard, um, stone fort what is it uh stronghold, stronghold. Like, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like it's just, that's it it's it, it's exactly as we found it minus the you know terrible um silverfish spawner that's it it's exactly as we found it so uh that could uh have some cool potential for like a fun very different kind of like more of an art experience build than actually building something physical you know like i want to kind of go in there and maybe have it be all black or maybe uh take advantage of the new world height and maybe like you know entering into the portal is is not going in at ground level maybe you have to fall from 200 blocks in the air like i don't know um that would take a lot of testing (laughs) yeah and (laughs) you'd have to put some kind of water thing to slow your momentum down because i think we mentioned this on the show before but if you fall through the portal to the end at speed you keep your momentum when you land on the obsidian platform in the end so if you fall from a high enough height you will die once Ah. you've spawned into the end so it's it's got it's got to be um you know safety prepared but i think it's uh it's a fun idea and and doing stuff with the end portal doing stuff with the stronghold is obviously a lot of work especially 
in newer worlds, I expect people are reconsidering their plans for that now that strongholds can generate below deep slate levels. But it's uh, it's a fun project. I've done it in the past, and it's always really interesting to see what you can come up with. Yeah, and some of that I'm thinking like, do I want to do that now, or do I want to wait for something like you know Skulk Blocks and other kind of cool, oh, yeah. dark no, things? To, yeah. Skulk is going to be really good for end builds, definitely. So yeah, yeah I, so I, I'm, I'm I'm with you there. Maybe hold off on that one. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, but there's still a lot of prep to do, right? Like I could still kill the dragon a bunch of times. Like you know, yeah. there's a bunch of things I could I could do. I could do, use some more shulker boxes, surprisingly, even though I have quite a few. Um, but uh, as the more projects I do, the more times I fill up these shulker boxes with uh -huh. stuff, and I have to then sort it out. Um, case in point, actually, uh, I am taking a break now that Low Town is done. Uh, similar to last summer when I went and I built the moss farm, uh, I am I'm doing a favor for Cosmic uh, on the server. Uh, she has a beautiful area in Somerville that is just wall-to-wall -wall flowers. It's hard to describe. Uh, I'll include some screenshots in our show notes this week. Uh, and this is the, the tame version, but there are just walls and flowers everywhere. It's, it's like walls of flowers, I should say. Uh, carpets of flowers. And so she asked me to build her a redstone flower farm or two. Uh, and so uh, she had previously mapped out the flower map. So for folks that don't know, uh, when you bone meal an area, eventually when you get a flower, that is what flower will spawn in that block every time. Mm -hmm. It's different than the natural generation. So if you see something that you like, don't assume that it's going to be there. You have to then break it and manually bone meal it to find out what you're going to want. It's a lot of bone mealing and breaking grass and like repeating that process until you see a dandelion and hope that your just trigger finger doesn't smack it, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and remove it. Because um, so what we did was I, I did a brief map. I didn't look at the whole thing. Cosmic had mentioned that there'd been tulips there before. And so there's a rare chance that that tulips will spawn in, in a plains biome. But both of these are in a plains biome. There's, I think, five flowers that that is are coming in from the flower farm. Uh, this is designed by Logical Geek Boy that I then tweaked to, to work with uh, Cosmic specifications. Uh, and then I am using a nether fungus and root farm, root sprout. Um, from no yeah sprouts are the little ones that you can't get so yeah. Mm -hmm. um yeah crimson roots and warped roots um are are on the other side and that is an exumavoid design where you have crimson nylium and warped nylium on the same platform that's like shot back and forth by pistons and yeah. constantly bone wheeled and um the difference is like i'm switching these up both of these farms were designed to be turned on and turned off manually by the player and then you have to walk over and collect stuff. Uh, I get in Logical Geek Boy's case, it was hoppers that was collecting everything. I like water streams because I think they're cool. And I wanted these things to be out of the way because Cosmic has such a beautiful area. I didn't want these big redstone things kind of like jamming up the, the top surface. And they're big. They take up a lot of space. So to one, keep them quiet for the player. I built them 15 blocks below the surface. And uh, I'm using water streams to then sort all the items underneath the ground. And then I'm going to be using a, uh, a system that I designed for my witch farm that uses bubble columns that are all next to each other and submerged trapdoors, waterlogged trapdoors that keep the items separate so they don't change water streams. Yeah, And so mm -hmm. you can use the momentum of the bubble columns at first to get the um the items going and then at at the top you just have the same sort of system with uh waterlogged trapdoors 
and the the items end up going into the respective chests so they're sorted down below so your storage system up top again has a small footprint you don't have to have the giant you know impulse impulse sv sorter which is like four blocks deep out yeah, the back yeah. of your chests all the time you can have mm -hmm. that down underground and uh, so yeah I'm, I'm i haven't done the redstone for that this whole thing is a work in progress but uh cosmic picked out the colors for the redstone blocks i just kind of absentmindedly thought like live on stream hey i know i normally build redstone on like you know iron blocks or something um very distinct you don't want the player to then mine through it by accident and i thought it's cosmic's farm i should build it out of whatever bright colors that that she wants well <laughs> <laughs> glazed terracotta is what i'm using currently <laughs> right. uh, there's glazed terracotta pink and purple concrete red and pink glazed terracotta i think there's also like light gray terracotta because it has turquoise in it for to go mm -hmm. with the nylium like it's just it is bright in a great way because it's it's a fun diversion from all the gray and the stone and the brown that i've been working on uh in um in West Hill and in Lowtown. So this has been, it's been a lot of fun to have some redstone stuff. It was interesting to try and come up with some different timing. So I'm using drop uh, dispensers and water. And what happens is the farms run for, I want to say roughly 30 seconds. And then the, the clock switches. It's an etho hopper clock that turns on and off the um, single hopper clock. And when that happens, the bone meal stops and then the water dis is dispensed, washes all the stuff away, and then the water is turned off again, and then the whole process starts. It's loud, uh, and it uses a lot of bone meal, but you get a lot of stuff. We ran it for one session, so like 30 to 60 seconds. I want to say 30 seconds. And there was two and a half stacks of both warped and crimson roots, and there was... I think 20 ish um, fungi. So mm -hmm. if you run it for more than <laughs> like, you're going to get stacks upon stacks of this stuff, which means that we can probably turn some of it back into bone meal and like reintroduce it back into the system. So those are the two things that are not done. The storage system has been planned, but hasn't been started. And I need to find a way to sort out some of the things that are coming in from the farms and put them back in. I still think it's going to chew through enough bone meal that, cosmic is going to have to manually input some but we can at least supplement it with you know some bone meal from itself because the amount of dandelions it's like three times the amount of other flowers so there's yeah. no reason to store all those dandelions we can just start putting them back into into bone meal right and you get wheat seeds and all kinds of stuff that you're yes. probably not going to need as well yeah there's, there's plenty yeah. of stuff like that and it's it's a smart way of reusing those materials as well instead of just having them like chucked into a cactus or a fire or something that's it's a a good way to reuse it in a farm that's going to use the bone meal as part of the process yeah so it's been a lot of fun uh it's uh, it's a bit of a puzzle to figure out i i had some things that i could not change and as normally happens when you take someone else's design and then you tweak it you when you are not a redstone expert you then end up with problems that they anticipated and they designed it a specific way i'm powering it from the other side so then you know, like i've got some different things we were having some problems with water breaking the redstone on one of the early farms but it was just a matter of sacrificing one of the platforms it's like all right well instead of being nine or eight wide it's now seven wide which is kind of a better Minecraft number sometimes to deal with anyway from a design perspective. So yeah, yeah. It, you know, and, and ultimately you're just kind of like, wait a minute, these things are just monster farms. They're, one row of blocks is not going to break the output of this farm, you know? And so you, you start 
you stop thinking in such absolutes and you're like, you know, realize, you know, one and a half stacks of dandelions is probably enough in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we, definitely. We don't need to go for that that extra mile, right? Although as far as power users go, it looks like Cosmic is definitely a flower power user. So there's, oh, man. there's potentially more market for dandelions than you might think. It was a breath of fresh air to fly around Somerville for a couple of streams. Like, you know, whenever you forgot something or you had to go repair your pick or like whatever it is that you're doing, you had to walk through this beautiful area. So much color. And it's, it's made me realize that I need to be a little bit better at, at adding some color into into West Hill. And hopefully with the fancier area of town in West Hill, it'll make more sense too. people will have more money. There'll be maybe a flower shop or like there'll just be more things around that look nice. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, adding in some color to that might might even help communicate that that the area is meant to be um, a, a richer part of town. So less, lessons have been learned this weekend from server mates. It's been fun. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's get into the news. Sounds like a plan this week. Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 22W14A has been released. Added clay renewability, added mangrove trees, added mangrove swamp biomes, and added the echo shard and recovery compass with clay renewability placing mud above a block that has pointed dripstone underneath it will eventually turn the mud block into clay with mangrove trees introducing a new type of water adapted tree that spawns propped up on roots mangrove trees have a chance of spawning a bee nest and they grow from mangrove propagules which we knew Mangrove swamps are located in warmer, more human places where you'd normally find swamp biomes in Minecraft. Here you can find bees and warm frogs. The floor of this biome is coated in a thick layer of mud, so be sure to bring your best boots. Have a nice boat ride under and around the larger-than-life roots of mangrove trees. The recovery compass is unlike a normal compass. It will point to your last death location. If you are not in the dimension you last died in, or you haven't died in your world, it will randomly spin. It can be crafted with one compass surrounded by eight echo shards, which can be found in ancient cities. There are a number of technical changes in 22W14A regarding predicates, advancements, and triggers. You can find the full list and explanations in the minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. Also, there you can find the full list of bug fixes. Here are a few that are worthy of note. The Skulk Sensor Wool Occlusion has directional bias that has been fixed. Skulk Sensors react differently to wool occlusion depending on the global direction. Again, also fixed. Uh, Activating Skulk Shriekers fail to summon the Warden when broken. The vertical movement of Wardens when they're in liquids is too sensitive, and Wardens stop sensing vibrations after the world reload. Uh, That actually led to players being able to uh, avoid detection of the Warden by logging out and logging back in again. So uh, that has all been fixed. Uh, There are a number of other Skulk-related and LA-related bugs. You can list uh, all of them on the Minecraft.net article. Minecraft Bedrock Edition Beta and Preview 1.19.0.20 is available on Minecraft.net as well. The wild update features added include wild update no longer requiring the experimental toggle to be enabled, added a new wild update splash screen text, and added new wild update loading screen tips. Added mangrove swamp biomes, mangrove trees, mangrove propagules and base functionality, mangrove roots, muddy mangrove roots, and all the new mangrove wood types 
added mud-related block recipes, sounds, and renewability mechanics, implemented mud walking slash sinking, added base mud block functionality, added the mud brick and related blocks as well as their sounds, and added the packed mud block. The LA can now be leashed if it is already holding an item, and the LA can now be named by a name tag if it is already holding an item. LAs now have initial sounds, and LAs now move slower when not attempting to follow their owners, and will start following owners from a farther distance than before. Frogs no longer croak while they are eating mobs. This is good. You're not supposed to talk when you eat. Fixed bugs where wardens temporarily could miss noticing vibrations and allays could miss noticing note blocks when being played. The warden has been stopped from getting angry at itself and inanimate mobs. The darkness effect now has a black distance fog similar to how the brightness effect works. Parrots now imitate the warden. The Warden has a new angry listening sound as well as custom death and damage taken sounds. The Warden is allowed to preserve anger levels towards despawned entities and the fixed eroded Badlands biome placement error that caused it to fragment. Uh, all of these things have been tweaked and fixed. Skulk sensors uh, can now detect a wider range of vibrations. A full list of these is available in the changelog linked in our show notes. Accessibility features include there is now a darkness effect strength slider in settings that adjusts how dark the screen becomes when the player is infected with darkness. There are a number of graphic fixes, changes to new mobile touch controls, minor gameplay tweaks, and technical changes all available to read in the changelog at minecraft.net that will again be linked in our show notes. Last week, uh, as we were finishing up the show, Minecraft Dungeons Seasonal Adventure 2 Luminous Night was announced. We were able to cover that in the post-show on last week's podcast, but now we can bring it to the new segment here in the main show. So Luminous Night is Minecraft Dungeons' second and possibly darkest seasonal adventure. It launches on April 20th, and a brief blurb on it from the Minecraft.net blog post says, Explore the tower by night, full of new, fresh floors that include everything from mysterious murals and perplexing puzzles to the wildfire, a fiery foe that may prove too hot to handle even for the most seasoned adventurers. And folks may recognize the wildfire if you are around for the 2017 mob vote, because it's the blaze with several shields that was one of the mobs that didn't make it through the mob vote. Apparently there has been a, a small campaign on the part of some of the production team to include it in Minecraft Dungeons. It appeared as like an easter egg statue in one of the levels in the nether update, I think. And now it's actually coming to the uh, the tower as a boss there, which won't appear in the main campaign anywhere. So fun reason to check this seasonal adventure out. It does include the usual battle pass style of dishing out rewards. There's going to be a free track of rewards for leveling up as you go throughout this seasonal adventure. And there's a premium track for folks who want to pay a little extra and get a bunch of stuff in return. The pets for the event include miniature versions of the Redstone Monstrosity and the Jungle Abomination, which are honestly too cute, having seen the screenshots of them. And there are even new quality of life features coming, such as an highly anticipated storage chest, which will bring order to your chaotic inventory. If you want to read more about the Minecraft Dungeon seasonal adventures, once again, we'll have that linked in our show notes. It's over at minecraft.net. I haven't had a chance to to play with this at all, but uh, I agree with you on the pets, the Bob yeah. mob boss pets. They they look 
hilarious. It's like a tiny version of the redstone monstrosity that you fight in the Fiery Forge level, and it's, yeah, it's too cute. It's it's very, very cool. <laughs> um, I, I also, I haven't played Minecraft Dungeons since checking out the tower initially when uh, Cloudy Climb, the first seasonal adventure, came out. I'm not sure if I'll have time to dip back in for this update. I love Minecraft Dungeons. I played a bunch of it, and I think it's a great game, but I'm just so focused on vanilla Minecraft and everything else that I don't have as much time to, to play it. But I honestly might log in just to store some items in this alleged storage chest <laughs> because it's something I've wanted for the longest time in that game. Inventory management became a real pain if you wanted to switch loadouts on a single character. If you got some stuff that you were like, well, I don't really have another character to like transfer these items to. I don't want to lose progress on this character or start a new character. And I want to be able to switch between being like a tank and a mage and, uh, you know, more of a, a DPS kind of like rogue style build you had to store all of those items on your character and then when they introduced ancient hunts there was a, a mechanic there where you had to sacrifice specific combinations of items to guarantee that certain mini bosses would appear and if you wanted to go for a specific drop if your loadout required a specific type of weapon that meant just keeping hold of a bunch of stuff and that meant my inventory was a nightmare by the end of that and so i'm really happy that they're actually moving forward with this idea of having some place to store all of that gear so that you can put it away and streamline the inventory process. I can only imagine what it's like for people playing co-op on a single screen because of the amount of inventory management you have to do. You probably just put down the controller while your friend or whoever family member is sorting out their inventory back at the camp because it would take plenty of time for them to go through all of the stuff that you pick up on a single run of, you know, an ancient hunt or a, a, a later stage mission. So... Fair play to them for actually implementing that. Let's hope it works out for people who are still checking out Minecraft Dungeons. So I'm not the, I'm not the biggest Minecraft Dungeons player, but I do like it. And I checked out the Cloudy Climb on the Xbox when it first came out or, sh or shortly thereafter. And I think part of it is for me, I'm just not, I'm only invested in the main character and anything outside of that, I just think, well, I should be playing the main character rather than doing this Cloudy Climb thing. And so I just didn't take it very seriously. And when I had to do it again and start over, I was like, well, okay, I don't want to start at the beginning every time. And so I, I get it for like end game stuff and, and, and just that experience when you've already done all the other things, but really I need to try and figure out how to beat the final boss uh, mm -hmm. and see if I can't get into the expansions, which I own. I just can't access them because I haven't finished the, the first um, main playthrough. Um, but I, I do find that um, the cloudy climb thing was a bit repetitive for me. I, I agree with you though on when I've started other characters to play with friends just briefly, uh, I feel like I'd, I'd love to have some storage to be able to move items around or or just even just like you said, change your your gameplay style without having to have so much. I just always end up like I'm also a digital pack rat. So like I'll end up with like four or five bows and then just like I'll have to log in. I was like, wait a minute, I need to take some time and just delete. I'll keep one or two like I've got two bows that have good damage and they have like very different enchants depending on what I want to, how I want to play. Yeah. And I should mm -hmm. just turf the rest. And then you apply that to the rest of your inventory and the 30 minutes that you had to play the game are gone <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, pretty you, much. Know, you, you, you know, you had to log in and basically inventory manage. You're just like, well, okay, I'm ready the next time I want to play. I'm not sure when that's going to be. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that there's some inventory stuff happening. I, I don't know. I don't have a solution off the top of my head about how they could fix that, but I, I, it's definitely a, a drag I find in, in the game, um, compared yeah. to how 
quick it is for pick up and play, you know, in terms of just getting in, bopping a bunch of mobs in the nose and getting that satisfaction. You can do that relatively quickly uh, if yeah. you're not worried about managing your inventory. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the the one thing that could be improved, I'm not sure if they have this already, I might not have seen it implemented, is um, just being able to favorite stuff. Like there was a separate tab of your inventory that you could go to for stuff that you had enchanted. So clearly if you've invested some time in actually enchanting that stuff, then you can definitely grab all of your weapons and armor from there. But you couldn't enchant artifacts. So if you wanted to change your artifact loadout, then there wasn't really a quick way of doing that other than scrolling through all of the ones that you've used most recently. And I, I think there's there's still a little bit of refinement to be made there, but it seems like probably a good thing. At, by the end of my, my Barefist Steve playthrough, I wanted to save some of the armor and stuff just out of nostalgia because it was kind of fun to keep it almost like as a trophy of my achievement at that point. Um, and, and in the end, I think I ended up upgrading one of the, the robes that I have that's still level 44 or something like that when my character is into the hundreds and beyond at this stage so yeah i think it's it's good that they've got some uh some storage space in there now and even though i've just spent a week without an inventory basically i do kind of think yeah maybe give us some storage for some of that stuff what do you think about something like an armor stand in your camp where you can walk up to it and just put your tank gear like the 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 the, the hammer the the chest plate the helmet the boots like all the things that you use as a tank and put it on that armor stand and on the next armor stand you could put all of your like wizardy magic stuff you know like create like an outfit that you could kind of walk up to and kind of like click on and just like load out shift like just kind of quickly change outfits to be like i'm going to be more this than more that yeah i would honestly love that i think that sounds like a really cool idea <laughs> not not sure if it's on their radar for stuff that you can do but mm. yeah if you've got one or two fixed loadouts that you're at end game and you're working on this specific type of gear yeah like it makes sense to switch between those at, at the push of a button so not not a not a bad suggestion all told let's move on to talking about java and the bedrock snapshot though because i think it's um some of the coolest stuff that we've seen as far as the development of mangrove biomes and stuff uh, did you get a chance to hop in and check out the snapshot i didn't get a chance to play myself but i did watch a couple of snapshot review videos and even through the video i was hit with the oh wow like this looks really immersive uh yeah. watching someone row a boat through the mangrove roots looks just like the show the art the concept art that we saw at minecraft live in the fall and i was impressed uh, I, I can see it being a little bit frustrating because you can't pass through roots in the same way that you can go through signs, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and so you hit them like you would hit a leaf block. And and so if it gets too narrow too quickly, you, your boat is going to have some problems. Um, but uh, it, it, it looked really, really cool. And I mean, like my first impression was basically like, you know, Yoda Dagobah build in five, four, <laughs> yes, three. Yes. Like, like just, you know, complete you know, with like crashed x-wing and everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> my home this is you know yeah uh like nailed it real like really hit a good nostalgia vibe with me uh any nature show i've ever seen about someone taking like a little uh hovercraft or, or a dinghy through like mangrove swamps like it it really does look um look really different i think they've done a really good job of like it's a swamp so it's sort of familiar but it looks very different than anything else in minecraft yeah yeah, we'll, we'll wait for the folks from the tropics to weigh in on the authenticity. Uh, folks from Costa Rica and places going to be yes. uh, emailing the show being like, I, I I have this to say about mangrove swamps. But no, seriously, I love what they've done with mangrove swamps. Like when they released a couple of initial screenshots and footage 
Um, I wasn't as keen on them at the time. I thought the trees felt a little bit too sparse. There wasn't enough going on on the ground to make the mud kind of broken up a bit and, and more interesting. They are much different. And it's based on a lot of small refinements that have just made a heck of a difference when they're all added up. So the trees are more dense than before. Like in Minecraft terms, I think it feels more like a jungle than a swamp in terms of the, the dense pack of the foliage. But they're still like you know, gaps that you can walk underneath the roots and stuff if you're on foot. Um, there being more inland water than before really helps. And the tree heights are more varied. Like, it's not an azalea tree situation where they all just flatten out at a certain height. There are trees that can be, you know, 20 or so blocks tall, and they are all propped up by the root blocks, so they're kind of being held up on stilts almost. And then there are some that are lower to the ground, there are some that dangle into the water. It feels like a more natural ecosystem and i think that's that's a really really good vibe there are lily pads around they're not as plentiful as in swamps but that still adds a bit of character to the overall area i think they're missing a bit of atmosphere still and i'm honestly not sure if fireflies are still happening because we haven't heard anything about them other than they're not going to be food for frogs anymore they they haven't popped up as part of the development process yet um i also didn't see any frogs while i was you know briefly flying around in in creative but I, I do think the fact that frogs spawn there and bees also spawn there is going to be a nice touch because if you walk in, what you want is a bit more ambience to make it feel like a little different from a swamp. And having the constant sort of insect buzzing and frogs croaking around you is definitely going to help that, I think. Yeah, I feel like it was a little bit sparse in terms of life as well. Uh, I was confused by the warm frogs being in the, the swamp. I mean, it, it makes sense if they're putting it in humid and like warmer biomes, like next to deserts and next to jungles and things like that. But for me, I thought it was odd that the warm frog was there because it's such a bright color, like it's white-ish, kind of like a cream color. Mm -hmm. And it stands out so dramatically against all the, the mud and the brown. Uh, it's the kind of area that you kind of expect to see like a green frog you know, which is what they call the, the cold temperature or, or the cool temperature frog in the game. Uh, I mean, then again, sometimes frogs don't blend in at all. Like you'll have like, you know, red dart frogs and stuff. They're bright red mm -hmm. and they're meant to like, you know, I'm poisonous, don't eat me. So it's meant yeah. to be more of a defense, you know, rather than blending in. And in Minecraft, like right now, we don't know if anything that preys on frogs. Frogs are actually the predators so far as we know in the swamp. They eat slimes. Um, and they don't really have any natural predators. So it maybe it doesn't matter that they're bright white. Um, I just thought that from a color palette and experience perspective, like the the green or the even the gold frog um, would work a little bit better. But, you know, like that's not, not to say that you can't, you know, for your base, if that's what the experience you want, just like go breed some somewhere else and bring them back. You know, you could always, always do that. Um, it, it might also help to have a bit of contrast in there just so that people can mm -hmm. see them more easily. Like, I think the green frogs might blend in too much with the leaves. And I think especially for players who, you know, m might be, you know, less attentive, partially sighted even. Like, there's there's a, a variety of considerations that they've got to take into account when they're implementing stuff there. And having a contrast is probably going to make more sense just so they're easier for players to find in general. Yeah, it could be more of a gameplay mechanic thing. Colorblind players as well. That sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I can totally. See, I, can totally. See, I, I can see that being I can see that being something advantageous along those lines. But I mean I, I like the way that everything looked. I thought it was interesting the way that the trees always grow in like a an X, like a, a plus sign. Mm -hmm. Um they're not they're not super random. Um, which I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. The lengths of the spokes of the plus sign vary. So you do get a variation from tree to tree. Uh, and you can also 
have mangrove roots go through other other mangrove roots so you can get like a crisscross happening in a naturally generated biome which is very cool and uh, i thought that was a nice way to handle it it does kind of look like i don't know how to express this other than just like it looks like a mangrove tree but it looks like a minecraft mangrove tree you know like it's just it's been it's been chunkified and made a little bit larger than player scale you know what i mean like you wouldn't necessarily be able to walk under the roots of mango mangrove trees but in minecraft it makes sense and it's a cool experience mm-hmm. yeah definitely i i think as far as on the ground atmosphere it's it's looking a lot better and it excites me thinking about like you know how we're gonna start maybe farming these trees if people want to use lots of the wood are people going to go in and just chop down a bunch of the mangrove stuff cut a path through it or are they gonna think about preserving these places a little bit more and farming stuff renewably checking out the propagule mechanics all of that i i think this is just a really interesting time to see more wood types being implemented more styles of trees being implemented and what we can do with that and i think having root blocks as part of these really makes them like it really feels like they have a significant difference to some of the other trees that we already have in the game and Mm -hmm. it's it's fascinating to see this stuff come together so yeah props to the mojang team they're doing a great job with that so this is probably a mechanic that we've talked about on the show but i've missed uh do you think the whole packing your best boots comment points that mud is going to act in a similar way to powder snow I don't think so. That you do sink into it, but you don't have any kind of debuff from that the way you do with like soul sand or anything. I I, I don't think right. it's going to end up being like a a quicksand kind of thing. They seem to want to make these biomes fun to explore, but not inhospitable, <laughs> which is right. what I think of as as the powder snow trap kind of thing right now. Um, so I think mostly it's going to be okay. I wonder if maybe down the line they have some more stuff in mind for mud. Um, but in the meantime, I think the clay renewability mechanic, which we knew about from Minecraft Live, but is still just like in the process of, you know, getting introduced into these snapshots. I think that's super cool. And I think the the fact that we can make dirt into mud using water bottles, we can make the mud into clay, you can fire the clay for terracotta, you can, you know, mm-hmm. transform that into colored terracotta and then glaze terracotta from there. There's so many different like transformations that are possible, some of which might even have automation involved. There's some really, really cool stuff we can do with that now. So I, I'm I'm seeing like a chain of blocks, you know, building up between dirt and gravel and coarse dirt and then all the way down through to to terracotta at that stage what do you think of um mud blocks being used from like a technical perspective because if they have that little sink thing then that means that maybe hoppers can pull in in items from on top of them yeah maybe could be a possibility it's yeah it's the kind of thing that's not super unique to them there's a lot of other blocks that we already do that stuff with but having having more blocks in that palette is nice you know having having more blocks in the toolbox because you'll end up with situations where that type of block is going to work better and even you could disguise areas in a mangrove swamp where you could have an area of that mud that you throw items onto and it gets picked up by hoppers if you want to have like a a storage system hidden underground or something there's 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 chances for mechanics like that to be relatively disguised for most players but uh the kind of folks that you know experiment with those kind of mechanics on a regular basis are going to enjoy it i'm thinking along the lines of like you know aligning items or or moving items around or uh even how it might affect um traversal you know like what is it what happens when a boat is on mud 
as opposed to on land, mm. you know, stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering about things like chess boats and all the other things that they're introducing. And when you have a block that has just that, that one little thing that's different about it, like I kind of, it makes me wonder, you know, how the, the really smart, you know, redstone and, and mechanical Minecraft people are going to, are going to use it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking as well, looking at the Bedrock beta having a lot of the same stuff getting added around this time, it, it's not just that they've dialed in what they want to do with mangrove wood and the formations of the trees and stuff now, we're starting to see a bit of alignment in terms of the features they're adding to both the snapshot and the beta, which is leading me to believe that we're heading towards release potentially sometime in the next couple of months. Crossing my fingers and basing this entirely on speculation here, but I think when we've stopped seeing the two teams working on separate tracks of features and they're starting to get a little bit more aligned, then we're, we're starting to see the end game for what the wild update is actually going to be shipped as. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite excited for the next few weeks to see how the rest of this stuff comes together. And if memory serves, like a lot of the time the target-ish seems to be early summer, like June, yeah. early yeah. July. I mean, we saw a delay last year because Caves and Cliffs was massive and they needed to have that, that mm -hmm. delay. But if the wild update is a little bit more of a, a moderately sized update, um, then then we potentially could be looking at, at June-ish, which is not that far away when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I sort of don't want to think about it, to be honest, but I also do in the context of <laughs> right? Minecraft stuff. We wanted to talk a bit about the recovery compass, but I think we're going to save that for our main discussion because there's a couple of things tied into the recovery compass thing that are kind of valuable discussion points, and a lot of people in the community have been talking about this stuff. So should we move on to chunk mail now, and then we'll come back to the recovery compass after that? Sounds like a plan to me, man. All right. Thank you so much to everyone who's emailed the show recently. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Make sure you have a clear subject line. Keep the email short and sweet and yeah, make it an interesting discussion topic. It's always fun to read these. The first one comes in from The Nookie, who is a recent adoptee of our Patreon, I believe. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, the subject is, are fireflies off the table? So this ties back into what I was saying earlier. Since Mojang decided not to make Fireflies entities to be frog food, I have a different idea. Give the mangrove root blocks a slim chance of becoming a firefly-infested root block when they generate. This new block spreads particles that look like fireflies in a small radius. The block itself would work like the spore blossom and could be mined by the player with a silk touch pickaxe. I think this could balance effort from the developers with the player's joy for the idea of fireflies in Minecraft. What do you think? Love the podcast, it always inspires me. Kind regards. The Nookie was blown up by a creeper while admiring sparkling fireflies. <laughs> yeah, they do get a little distracting, I find. And honestly, the uh, the screenshots that you've supplied with this suggestion were really what sold it for me because looking at the way it's kind of arranged, the composition here, I'm, I, I like the idea of having those blocks that are effectively like firefly spreading blocks in a way. I think it's a good compromise. You know, it gives player control. I like the comparison to the spore blossom. Like, I think I think that's a, a really good way to communicate it. Um, I, it gives you lots of fun uses. Like, do you hide the block and then just have fireflies kind of floating around in the same way that particles from an ender chest will show up in your build if you put the ender chest under the floor? Like, that kind of stuff mm -hmm. I think is really cool. Um, I think that um, players will probably want more of them or a way to craft them if they're pretty rare. Uh, I know we don't have a current way to craft spore blossoms, but I feel like there's enough lush caves in the world that you can probably get a fair amount of them if you really, really want them. Um, we already have beehives spawning in mangrove swamps. 
So I'm wondering if this idea for a firefly nest could somehow work the same way, where over time it would just fill up with fireflies and then the player could somehow retrieve them, put them in a bottle, and then use a bottle of fireflies and a muddy root block or a mangrove root block to then make a new firefly nest. And so then once you have one and some patience, you could eventually get more than one. I'm not saying it should happen fast, but you know, if it's something that takes time to build up, I think that's cool. I think it adds like a cool collection and farming mechanic to the game. Good way to decorate your builds. Um, I even just like the idea of hanging these things from like fence posts as like, that's my my creepy swamp lantern, you know, in mm-hmm. this village. Yeah. It's just like, you know, baskets of fireflies everywhere. Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely what I can see them being used for. I like the, like you, I like the idea of it being more like the spore blossom, but not just you know a carbon copy you know it's not just generating a different color of particle the glowing effect of the fireflies is obviously a a different vibe and renewability is always an interesting challenge it can't be a mechanic that happens naturally because then you're you'd turn up to a mangrove swamp and everything would be firefly infested but i feel like if it's something that the player has an interaction with then that really solidifies the mechanic as something that we can have some control over and so yeah i i like like I said earlier, I'm interested in seeing what the developers still have in mind for Fireflies, if anything, now that they aren't going to be the things that frogs interact with most closely. And we'll see if they're still on the slate for the Wild update or not. I'm hoping that they are, but uh, I haven't heard anything one way or the other about Fireflies from you know, following the developers on Twitter or anywhere. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see. I love the suggestion, though. It seems like a really cool idea. Our next email will actually bring us into the main discussion from Viper Tricks, Echo Shards, and the Recovery Compass. What do you think of about a block in addition to or instead of the Recovery Compass? It would be composed of an Ender Pearl or Eye of Ender surrounded by Echo Shards. You place it in your base and break it when needed, thus destroying it. This action teleports you to where you died and sacrifices hearts, sort of like using an Ender Pearl. The block can be used without triggering it by mining it with a silk touch pickaxe. I personally don't find the compass very useful because if I died really far away in a hard to reach place, it may take forever to reach and my items may despawn before I can recover them. The effort of surviving the ancient cities and warden would be more worth it for a device with more instant gratification. Vipertrix fell to his death trying to enjoy the sunset in a newly built tower. Lots of people just not making it this week. Yeah, um, it's it happens to the best of us. I I think, I think, part of me is like that sounds like a cool idea, and then part of me, like the instant gratification comment, kind of like hits the nope right. Like that's why it won't happen because <laughs> mm-hmm. instant gratification tends to be what the developers steer away from <laughs> in Minecraft a lot of the time. Um, and I agree, and this is kind of what's going to spur the main discussion, is that I agree that the recovery compass is a bit bland for seasoned players, but I can absolutely see the value for new players. Go back to when I was first playing Minecraft, and I got a compass, and it pointed to spawn. And I was just like, this is not all that useful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can think of a number mm-hmm. of other things that I would like this to point to. The first being north, you know, yeah. but the, ne- the next after that would be like, can I make a marker like a lodestone? Can I, you know, back then there was no lodestone. Does it point to my last death? Nope, doesn't do that. That's not helpful. So I don't really use compasses for mus- much. I think I ended up using them to make clocks when I first was in the game because I wanted to know when it was light or dark outside. Um, the issue, of course, is that um, 
the deep dark redstone examples in the last snapshot and getting the recovery compass behind the deep dark also the warden encounter like it's a weird place to put a thing that is going to be most useful for early game players yeah mm -hmm. yeah i can i can that see that i can see that um I, I do think that the recovery compass maybe has more to it than just going back to where your stuff is. Like, my first instinct was like, oh, yeah, okay, this is an easy way to, to track down where you die, provided that you've got a recovery compass available to you already. You can go and find, in theory, like, it's harder to find your stuff than it ever has been previously in Minecraft because there is twice as much depth in the world. So you get to the point where you were, and you're like, wait a minute, I was here, but am i am i at the right height you know was i in the cave below this the cave above i don't remember properly and so i think having a compass that points to that stuff is more valuable than it ever has been um but i can still see players using that for other stuff i mean people don't currently use lodestone compasses very much but i think that's mainly because lodestones are kind of expensive and everybody uses coordinates anyway but ignoring that part for people who want a more immersive experience without coordinates it's possible to create a waypoint somewhere by just dying. And if you're not somebody who's super precious about levels, if you have an ender chest that you can pack all of your stuff into, you go, all right, I'll be back here in a second. You throw yourself into lava, take full damage, get killed by a mob or whatever, and then suddenly you've got a waypoint to a specific location that you wanted to save later. I think that's an interesting use of them. It's perhaps not the primary use, but I think it's something that, that does exist as a, a mechanic you could use them for. Um, I have seen players on servers getting a bit competitive over who's, like, avoided death for the longest, like, it, it, how long it takes people to get into the lifespan of a server before they have their first death, and I think it'd be kind of neat to prove that you haven't died yet by being given a recovery compass, and you'd be like, look, still spinning, <laughs> you're just kind of, like, holding it up to them. Obviously, that breaks down a bit when you consider it needs to be in the correct dimension. If you died in the nether, holding it in the overworld is not going to do very much. But um, I, I kind of like the idea of it being used for more than just let me go back and find the stuff that I lost at whatever location. I've also seen people pointing out that even at endgame, you you can still die in unfortunate circumstances out in places like the end when you're raiding end cities. Like, I know I've lost a bunch of stuff in an end city. I've realized that I didn't have the coordinates, and I'm like, well, that stuff just lost now. Like, there's there's no point in me going back to find it. I have no idea where I was. The dimension is huge, and there aren't many landmarks. So it's it's more or less just, can I retrace my steps? Probably not. Maybe somebody else will find that if I'm on a server. I'm going to just let that go. But the recovery compass allows you to go and get some of that stuff, a lot of which could be very valuable, especially if you're dying out there with elytra and diamonds and end loot and everything like that. So I think for some people, it's still going to be of use. Um, going back to Vipertrix's idea, though, the idea of having a way to effectively warp back to your death point, I think for a start, it's better as an addition, I think, than a complete replacement for the recovery compass, because I think the recovery compass still has value. I think the thing about warping directly there is that most of the time when you die, you've probably died in circumstances that were quite dangerous. <laughs> and so the idea of having something that warps you back into a group of mobs that just killed you, I feel like isn't necessarily ideal. And I think if you're warping there, it's going to have to load chunks around the place that you've warped to. It's effectively like a teleport command. Always takes a second to load the terrain around you, by which point 
all of the mobs in the area have activated and they're already going after you again. So while it sounds like a good idea on paper, I'm not sure in practice it would work out as such a, a practical way of doing things. Yeah, I think that that's, that's my feeling on it too, is that the teleporting just does it doesn't feel very minecrafty and it again like you mentioned it comes with a bunch of technical issues that might because i mean you go in there you die again and then unless you have multiple of these things then like you're just kind of you know you're out, you're out of luck right mm -hmm. yeah I, I think it's <laughs> it's it's potentially more problematic than it is problem solving um especially if yeah you've just been killed by the warden in the middle of an ancient city the circumstance that everyone's you know concerned about here then potentially it teleports you right back into a place where you take one step and you've tripped a skulk shrieker and you're back in the same like it's 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 a block that potentially puts you in a in a death loop right um one last thing about the recovery compass as a few people have have pointed out elsewhere the recovery compass feels kind of redundant in hardcore and that's that's something that we're going to move on to talking about in our, our main discussion because i think one of the things Vipertrix's email highlights is that people want more uses for echo shards like they don't just want them to be used for the recovery compass they want them to be used for something else and so what we thought we could do this week is brainstorm a little bit about what else recovery no what else echo shards could do uh in addition to the recovery compass being in the game now and yeah and that's that's kind of what sparked this idea for me as well and and i feel like well, one, we understand that we're in a snapshot and there could be other intended use for echo shards that we just don't know about yet. Uh, but at the moment, there aren't any. And they're cool looking. They're valuable because they're rare. You have to go to the deep dark to get them. So like, what other things could you just put an echo shard towards and maybe you know increase the value of or increase the function of so my thought went to things like echo arrows echo portions echo blocks whatever that looks like so for echo arrows like do they teleport you do they teleport mobs do they make a sound that distracts the warden um the word echo to me obviously increases the kind of like to me it evokes the idea of of um, sound functionality mm -hmm. or vibration functionality as minecraft is now differentiating between the two um like do they work like sonic charges from slave one in star wars because that would be awesome like <laughs> give a give the creature creeper a, a taste of their own medicine you know like you, you shoot it and then just like bow and it's like a sound wave goes out and knocks you know players and items and everything everywhere i'm obviously i know that's really far-fetched but like we don't know anything so like why not right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I was thinking echo potions, like maybe it dampens player sound when they're not sneaking for a period of time, allowing you to avoid the warden, avoid... Now, that I can get into. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, like that's... something that... Um, uh, skulk sensors, same thing, you know? So maybe not always uh, in, in like PvE, but like maybe you want to sneak into a friend's base. You know, and they've got yeah. skulk alarm systems and you have a potion so you can like ninja your way in. Like there's some fun, I think, gameplay in, in that. Um, and then the obvious that was actually brought up by um, Vipertrix was uh, an echo block of some sort. You know, whether that's a nine by nine or a four by four shard crafting recipe. We've already got Amethyst in the game that does something similar. Um, I don't know what this could do, but I like the idea of... Um, going back to our, our talk about the LA, having something that would tweak note blocks or tweak LA behavior and having uh, an echo block or maybe something that dampens sound instead of um, amplifying it or, or changing it in a way, 
uh, could help. And we actually had another email um, this week uh, and it's um, to quote it, it was perhaps the LA is like a dog. It can hear frequencies that a player can't maybe blocks like wool or skulk, or in my example, uh, an echo block uh, or items such as goat horns could muffle or filter the sound so that you can't hear it, but it can constantly play and the LA can listen to the tunes while it works. It would entice players to go to the deep dark and get a dangerous block if they want a silent LA farm. And I forgot to include who wrote that. I think it was Thomas, but I'll look that up while you bring up your next point. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really solid suggestion. Again, like tying it into some of the newer functionality and the stuff that players want a little bit more from, I think this is a a good way of getting players to go back to ancient cities. Like that's another a piece of feedback I've seen online. I saw XB Crafted talking about this on Twitter. He was saying, "Right now I don't see a need to go back to an ancient city more than once." And Echo shards, yeah, cool. You get enough to get a recovery compass and then there's nothing else really to go there for. I think if people want to be revisiting ancient cities for anything, it's because they either want to interact with the Warden for whatever reason or because they want to tear the whole ancient city apart and use the deep dark biome as a base, at which point there are areas with ancient cities, uh, there are areas of the deep dark that don't have ancient cities in and you don't need to worry about that at all. So I think there's... There's some interesting balancing to be done here in terms of making Ancient City loot viable. I think it is headed in the right direction. I think it's 90% of the way there, and we just need something else to do with some of these things. And I think, yeah, a lot of these ideas are really great. I like the idea of Echo Potions. You could even have those used in a, a PvP context, like, you, you know, you're, you're sneaking around someplace, maybe somebody's got the new directional audio thing on. If they can't hear your footsteps because you're not making any for a short period of time, then that gives you an advantage, right? That gives you the edge in a PvP situation. I can see those being used pretty effectively that way. Um, but as far as the Echo Shard things, like, when I was brainstorming this, for a start, the Deep Dark, in general, has this connection to A, sound, and B, souls. Um, oh. obviously, obviously, like a lot of stuff, you've got the the Skulk, yeah. having Skulk sensors that detect sound, the Warden obviously detecting sound as well, but the Warden has souls, like the icon from souls sort of in its chest, um, and Skulk catalysts spread things by effectively, like, you know you killing stuff nearby it absorbs some sort of like soul component and it stores the xp that way and then spreads the skulk that way so first of all thinking about the sound idea the name echo shard obviously like you said implies a relationship with sound so there are things like the goat horn that it could craft together with um it doesn't necessarily have to be the goat horn because with the copper horn the goat horn might have been fleshed out enough um but yeah having the echo shard as an upgrade material for tools, for example. Imagine Echo Shard-infused tools. Maybe they mine slower, maybe they have a bit less durability, but they don't make noise. And that can tie in really nicely with the Swift Sneak enchantment, as though the Ancient City is giving you tools to better avoid the Warden. I think one of the key problems with raiding Ancient Cities right now, and one of the things players are going to have to solve, and this is obviously part of the challenge, but there are some sections where the Skulk Shriekers and Sensors have generated a couple of them closer together. And so if you want to avoid the Warden, you can't do anything to break one of the Shriekers because it's going to trip the other one. And so if there is a way that you can 
break one of those silently without alerting the nearby skulk sensors, then that's potentially to, to the player's advantage. But if you have to get something from the ancient city in order to do that first, it generates a couple of layers of, you know, challenge that you have to go through, a couple of hoops you have to jump through before you can have a bit more control over what's going on in that area. I kind of like that idea a bit more. Um, on the flip side, what if they're really noisy? Like you said, like the the, the sonic, sonic charge idea. What if your tools or your yeah bow and arrow becomes noisy enough to confuse the warden? It generates a loud enough noise, like people were suggesting the goat horn could do, that it sort of stuns the warden, makes it unable to hear for a while. Um, or if they produced some sort of literal echo where you're mining a block, but then the sound seems like it's coming from about five blocks to your left or something like that. Nice, Maybe it's yeah. to do with the direction you're facing, perhaps, so that it can have some, some directionality and players can have more control over it. But if it makes like the noises coming from elsewhere, that could distract the warden if you use it sparingly. And I, again, I don't know how this would actually work in terms of programming it, but I'm trying not to ask that question too much because of, you know, it, it not being something I know a great deal about. I think it's potentially a really neat implementation of, hey, we can use sound to our advantage now, and these specific types of tools might have a, a better way of doing it. Well, that mechanic's already in there with snowballs, with projectiles. Uh, it's within five seconds, I think. So if you throw yeah. two snowballs within five seconds, the warden looks at you. Whereas if you keep them spaced apart, it looks at the snowballs. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, when I say looks, it listens to, but detects, I guess. Um, so you could, I mean, something similar, you know, if you're using your echo location, you know, maybe you have to, you know, get an echo shard and a bat you know, and, and, and put them into a brewing stand. I don't know. Um, but if you're using this new ability to bounce sound off of something, it would be cool if it was like a block you were looking at or a block within range, like you said, five or six blocks. So the warden still has to be close to you, but you're playing this game of like cat and mouse and distraction. And it's like in all those eighties movies in the action films where like somebody throws like a, a, a paper clip or, you know, something, you know, a set of keys down a stair to like distract the bad guy while they go yeah. do something else. That, yeah, that, that sort of idea. The whole, the whole warden section of ancient cities is very velociraptors in the kitchen from Jurassic park. It's very much oh, like totally. you're, you're hiding behind the counters at that point, try not to knock the pots and pans over. Totally, totally, totally. Um, I, when I see the echo shards, like you think about like creating a block out of them or, or creating something out of them, but then you're like, well, wait a minute, they're so rare that, you know, players would want a lot of these. And that means either the ancient cities in your world are going to be ransacked and empty, or um, there, you have to find a way to get more of them that's not so rare, but then that makes them less important. But they do remind me of netherite in terms of how rare they are and the kind of dangerous sort of situation that they're in. So what about using an echo shard in something like the smithing table to augment your tools and weapons in the same mm -hmm. way that a netherite will increase the durability of your pickaxe and your shovel, uh, but doesn't really do anything else for it? Uh, I mean, it changes the the texture of it. Um, so what does an echo pickaxe do? Does it act like a magnet to pick up your blocks faster? That's a cool end game feature. Uh, do echo shards being used as a compass sort of imply a magnetic function? Uh, I know Minecraft magnetism, quote unquote, is, is not a thing, but like see Minecraft gravity <laughs> and fight me later. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, does it break blocks without making vibrations or alerting skulk sensors? Um, I know this would never happen in vanilla Minecraft, but my experience recently in modded Minecraft, like what if an echo pickaxe broke more than one block at a time? 
you know, like I just, there's potential there sometimes too far, maybe. Um, but those are the kind of the first impressions that I had, you know, with a, a pickaxe or augmenting tools. What, what do you think when you think about like augmenting current Minecraft tools with an echo shard? Yeah. Like that's, that's sort of where I'm going with this. I think, um, going back to what you were saying about the idea of it being used in a compass sort of thing, um, I think that's being more drawn towards the soul side of things, right? Like, I think that that's yeah, more about, like, mm -hmm. a player has died here. It's the death, really, that's drawing it to that location. And so if you think back to Minecraft Dungeons' use of souls as, like, a magic system, it's something that builds up a charge over time the more mobs you defeat, and then it allows you to do a more powerful attack. Like, if you imagine a soul-infused weapon maybe it's an echo shard plus a sword in a smithing table and that could work like skulk blocks do storing up xp to do some extra damage and so it becomes something like mending where if you defeat five mobs maybe you don't get xp from it because the xp gets drawn into the sword but then on the fifth swing you're doing like a, an automatic crit or something like that like th there's there's potential for stuff like that and then maybe it discharges the xp and you can either collect a small amount of it or you know, maybe that XP just doesn't get collected at all. And then you have an interesting uh, balance of, do I? how can I use this with mending? Does it become mutually exclusive with mending if you do that? Uh, because it's using the XP in a different way. There's some potential for stuff like that to happen. It gets like a little bit sort of too high fantasy in a way, I think. Um, but there's there's potential for, for stuff like that to be interesting. Um, another alternative could be like, if you have Echo Shard infused weapons if you're killing mobs near a skulk catalyst maybe the sword absorbs the xp first so that the skulk catalyst can't spread the skulk with it because it almost has priority because it's closer or something like that i don't know i'm just thinking like the soul side of things is also tied into the deep dark and the the skulk blocks and the warden in a way that maybe the echo shards are as well and it, they're implying that with the recovery compass detecting the location where you've died so i wonder if maybe there's there's something to be done there. I'm not sure how that factors into your average tools and armor, but I'm I'm very curious about ways that could be be worked in. I really like the harvester from Minecraft Dungeons that sucks up the souls and then I think allows you to then do like a burst. Explosion. Yeah, it's like an AOE effect kind of around you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Like you're talking about a sword that absorbs the souls. And what if you're in a situation where the more mobs you kill, you're building up like a little health meter on your sword, at which point you could, I don't know, right click or something. And then if you're dealing with a, a situation where you need to get out of the, a dangerous situation, like maybe you've hit a, a zombified piglin by accident and now there's three of them on you, you could use this charged sword that you've saved up to like disperse all three of them at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, like powerful hit or um to couple that with like because that's like the soul explosion but to also kind of go with the echo thing what about things something like knockback um, now correct me if i'm wrong i don't know if you've got knockback on your sword is that mutually exclusive with sweeping edge no no you can use both no. so can you then knock back like three mobs at a time yeah i believe so um okay and yeah it, it depends how much they resist that stuff but yeah i i can Im okay. imagine like um when you're fighting a ravager and you stun it with a shield and then it does that roar where it kind of revives itself um mm -hmm. like imagine players having something like that um and i'm pretty sure the ravager knocks 
any entity around it in in all directions when it does that so it, it is oh. something you could use to disperse mobs that way if the player had control over it yeah that would be cool imagine an echo shield like <laughs> going you're going caving and every time an uh, an arrow comes at your shield if you block it maybe it bounces it right back at the skeleton yeah i mean that that's definitely an option honestly like i want these shards to do anything and it could it could honestly be like cosmetic it could even be like mm. a new banner pattern or you know just being able to modify your tools so they look a little different to diamond or netherite or whatever kind of thing like you know even if they just had like a a skulk texture kind of thing over them like the skulk growth that happens like stuff like that allows you to personalize stuff a little bit more and if it is just cosmetic that's still something that's desirable for players and might want to keep them going back if they lose a pickaxe that's infused with this echo shard and it looks kind of cool and sparkly maybe they go back for that one even if it just modifies the enchantment glow or something like that i would be very happy with that too so yeah i think yeah. the difficulty here is they've got to make sure it's something that touches more than one aspect of the game and right now yeah i think the adventure aspect that they're trying to fulfill with the deep dark ties in really well with the recovery compass idea but i think the overall player base is going to want something more from from echo shards for sure and that could also be tied into advancements you know yeah yeah definitely you know, the, I mean, uh, you know uh, an entire suit of armor that's all echo shard augmented for even if it's just for looks but then you get the the you know the the, the tick the box of like i've gone to the deep dark a number of times to get all this stuff you know yeah yeah i mean it, it definitely uh, adds to the the list of uh, i think there's there's uh, advancements for getting one piece of iron armor one piece of diamond armor the full netherite armor suit as well so yeah it, it makes sense that the the progression continues maybe we'll have to see and obviously the community is giving a lot of feedback on this stuff right now and i'm sure our listeners have some feedback as well so feel free to email the show if you've got some ideas for how the echo shard could be used and maybe some of those emails will get picked up in next week's chunk mail dispenser for now that's where we're going to wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the spawn chunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks pledging there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can join our community and participate in things like live show recordings the monthly minecraft audio hangout we have coming up and the quarterly hangout we have coming up slightly earlier we're currently at 338 patrons which is up one from last week thank you for hopping on board whoever that was and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram with just the show name personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just tell a friend about the spawn chunks and where they can go to listen that includes the locations like itunes spotify google podcasts youtube really wherever you can find a podcast you can usually find the spawn chunks be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform that helps us reach new listeners you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com that email i quoted earlier was from thomas b or twb thanks again for writing in the RSS feed is linked on the spunchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. My other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, about fantasy and sci-fi entertainment, is at thecitadelcafe.com. My friend Ryan Murphy is joining me this week. I'm going to be talking about some stuff that I've been walking, uh, watching on Apple TV+, Plus, which has been really cool. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from The Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but you can still hear the echoes. 